Well, this morning we're going to be continuing our sermon series titled Full of Grace and Truth, Encounters with Jesus. And as we've discussed previously, each of us here are wired in one way or another um, to kind of lean more towards grace or truth in the way that we navigate and the way that we handle our relationships. We're either more prone to be people who hit others with the truth, call them out when necessary, or just say what needs to be said based on our perceived judgment. Others of us perhaps are more grace people. We don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to ruffle up anyone's feathers. Maybe we're just too forgiving, and so we just keep letting them do their thing and just showering them with grace, when maybe what they really need is a healthy dose of truth. Now, obviously, truth and grace can play itself out in a hundred different ways, but today we're going to look at yet another example of an interaction that Jesus has with a group of people and how he once again demonstrates a perfect balance of grace and truth. So we're going to go ahead and just dive into it. So go ahead and open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. It should be page 953 if you're using um, a pew Bible. Page 953. Luke 17, starting in verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and it says that he traveled between the border of Samaria and Galilee. And if you were here a few weeks ago, you understand that that is a big deal just in and of itself. Jews and Samaritans did not get, uh, get along together at all. They did not go together in any way, shape, or form. It's kind of like, you know, tigers and jayhawks, right? Chiefs and raiders, right? They don't go together saying their names in the same sentence makes me want to vomit, right? (laughs) Jews and Samaritans, literally, they hated each other. They despised each other, and there's no way to say it other than that. So the fact that Jesus was walking on the border of Samaria immediately shows how he was a man of grace, He shattered social expectations of him, and he treated every single person as equally deserving of his grace and acceptance. And it says, while Jesus was entering a village, a group of ten men with leprosy stood at a distance 
and called out to him in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, leprosy is a very rare disease in our society. I've never, I've never encountered it anywhere I went. I've never known anyone to have leprosy. Um, it's been known for taking on a couple different forms for people that are infected with the disease. Um, but when the Bible talks about leprosy, it, it's primarily indicating the type where brownish red spots start to form on your body, your arms, your legs, your chest, your face, and eventually they turn into bumps and ulcers that lead to deformity. It is rough, okay? It is a rough disease, and if you have it, you cannot hide it, right? You cannot hide it at all, especially if you have it all over your face. Um, and you were also considered just completely disgusting if you had it. A total outcast in society. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with you, really. And definitely nobody wanted to have any type of... Of physical contact with you. And you were considered unclean if you had leprosy. So that's why it says the men stood at a distance from Jesus and they shouted to him. They knew in the eyes of Jewish law they were unclean, so they weren't allowed to approach Jesus and run up to him and touch him in hopes of being healed. These ten men were the living definition of marginalized outcast. So these ten lepers call out to Jesus for help, for healing. And he says, go show yourselves to the priest. And that seems really weird to us. I first read that, I'm like, what does that mean? And as I studied it, what Jesus is actually doing here is just obeying Jewish law. Because if um, in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, chapter 14 goes into great detail about um, spiritual practices and sacrifices that were supposed to be made under the Jewish law between someone healed of a disease and between the priests. And it was some weird, wacky stuff, okay? Like a bird had to be killed and then like put its head in the water. And then the person that was healed of a disease had to wash their clothes. They had to shave off all the hair on their head, shave off the hair on their eyebrows, and then a bunch of other weird stuff that we're not going to get into. And so Jesus knowing that was the next step for them because of what he was about to do. He said, go, just start walking to the priests because he knew he was about to perform a miracle in their life. And because the men were willing to be obedient to Jesus' command to go to the priests, they were healed of their leprosy as they went or on the way, if your Bible uses that translation. And there's a crucial truth right here that we can't miss, and it's this. Jesus required faith from the men in order to heal them. He required faith from the men in order to heal them. And we see this all throughout Scripture. There are a lot of stories in the gospel when someone desperate for a miracle would approach Jesus, and one of the first things he would say to them, he would ask them, he would say, do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe that I am capable of performing whatever it is that you were asking me to do? Do you have faith that I can pull this off? And so one of the ways that Jesus lives out truth and speaks truth to these men is requiring them to have faith that he can heal them. And the fact that they obeyed him by walking towards the priests showed that they had faith and he responded by healing them of a horrible disease 
that had caused much suffering in their life. And while proclaiming that truth, that they needed to have faith, he also performed incredible, amazing grace to these men. And that incredible grace was by healing them of a horrible, disgusting disease. Grace is free and undeserved favor given to someone. And that's exactly what Jesus did to these ten men. They didn't do anything to earn their healing. They didn't attend a healing class, right? They didn't buy lotions to rub on their skin in hopes that that would help cure the leprosy. They didn't attend religious seminars. Out of sheer grace, Jesus healed them of their disease and changed their lives forever. And now we come to an essential point of the message that we're going to spend the majority of our time on. Although God healed all ten men of leprosy, their responses couldn't have been more different. Out of the ten men cured of a horrible disease, only one returned to Jesus to give God praise. Only one. And what's really crazy is that the one that returned was the biggest outcast of them all. He was marginalized on more than one level. On top of being a leper and having a very obvious disease, he was also a foreigner. He was a Samaritan. So, in other words, this dude did not belong anywhere in society, okay? No, no Jew wanted to have any type of contact with the guy. And that, that wiped out a huge percentage of people. So the, so the people that, would left, that were left that would maybe consider associating with this guy, he had leprosy. So they were like, dude, you're gross. You're sick. We don't want to be around you. We don't want to touch you. We don't want to talk to you. Stay away. If you want to talk to us, you better be 20 or 30 feet away, okay? This guy belonged nowhere in society. And he put his faith in Christ, his only hope. And his response was deep, overwhelming gratitude. So only one returned to give God thanks. And you know what? Jesus noticed, and I love this. Jesus noticed. He was paying attention. So he said to the one man that returned, Hey, were not all ten lepers cleansed? Where's the other nine? Is this one man, this foreigner, is this the only guy that's come back to give thanks to God, to give praise to God. So another truth we find in this passage is that Jesus was disappointed that the nine men didn't return to glorify God and to thank him. And Jesus is not overreacting. Let me put this story into our context. Leprosy is kind of foreign to us. Imagine you were uh, an incredible doctor, okay? And you found the cure for cancer. You had the medicine that could cure any type of cancer, okay? So you knew it was time to kind of announce this to the world. So you called 10 friends, 10 family people, maybe even 10 strangers that you knew had life-threatening cancer. You called them into your office or to your lab. You gave them the medicine. They took it, and within 20 minutes, they were healed. You could literally see their bodies physically change because of your medicine, wouldn't it blow your mind if nine of them left your office and didn't even say thanks? That just sounds absurd, right? You would be heartbroken. You would be so confused. You just saved these people's lives. 
And they just said, deuces, man, I'm out. I don't even want to say thanks to you. This is the same situation Jesus finds himself in. And even though he already knew who would come back and give thanks, it still did not stop him from healing people. It still didn't stop him from healing people. Now, it's easy for us to read this story and kind of dismiss ourselves and think, man, if that was me, if I was, if I was one of the lepers, I'd be that one guy, right? I know I'd be the guy that would go up to Jesus and say, thank you. I'd be so grateful. I would just show such an appreciation for what he's done. I know I wouldn't be like those other nine. But would we? Would you? I mean, think about it. Only one out of ten came back to give thanks. That's 10% of his crowd. Okay, that is a low percentage. That is rough. Like, no appreciation for Jesus performing crazy miracles. And this might be a tough pill to swallow, and I'm just going to say it. I'm about to come in hot, okay? So get ready. I'm going to guess that we are not that much different from the men in this story, if we were to be completely honest. This might not apply to every single person in this room, so I'm not going to say that. But I'm guessing there's a good chance that quite a few of us struggle with having an unappreciative spirit. We expect things from God, and in fact, we think we deserve them. It's a spirit, spirit of entitlement. It's a faulty way of thinking that makes us believe that because of our good deeds, our good actions, our wise decisions in life, that good things should happen to us. We think we deserve prosperity. We deserve relationships to be going well because we put so much work into them. We deserve good health for ourselves and our family because we eat well and we exercise. Now, most of us would never vocalize this type of thinking. Perhaps some of us do, but for most of us, it's more of an internal struggle and a wrestle that we have between ourselves and God, and I hope to shed some light on it. An unappreciative spirit has no place in the kingdom of God. And here's why. Jesus Christ has already done more for you than you could ever possibly deserve. And I'm going to say that again. Jesus Christ has already done more for you than you could ever possibly deserve. Think about it. He freely invites you into his family to be his son, to be his daughter. Forgiveness from all your sins forever has been covered by the blood of Christ. You've been set free from the grips, from the chains of sin and evil. Your eternity is secure, and you will spend forever in paradise praising him. What more could we possibly want or ask for? What more could we possibly want? If Jesus never did a single thing more for you for the rest of your life, you've already came out way ahead of what you deserve. If he never did anything else for you, you've already came out way ahead of what you deserve. Anything good that's happened to you beyond what I just listed is simply a blessing to celebrate and to be thankful for. If you have good health right now, then praise God for it. If you have legs that allowed you to walk into this building, if you have arms that can move, praise God for it. 
If you have breath in your lungs, then give him thanks. If you have family and friends that kind of love you, give thanks to God for that, (laughs) right? If you have a job that allows you to pay bills, half the world would kill for that opportunity rather than watch their kids suffer and die of malnutrition or unclean water or whatever it might be. All that stuff is just icing on the cake, okay? From the spiritual blessings and favor that God has already bestowed on us. He doesn't owe you and he doesn't owe me anything more than what he's already given me. Whew. Getting hot in here, people. Whew. Craig Barnes, who is, he's the president of um, the Princeton Theological Seminary, he said this, Gratitude is our ability to see the grace of God morning by morning, no matter what else greets us in the course of a day. Do we live aware of God's grace and goodness in our lives? Do we remind ourselves every day of what he has done? Because if we do, our only response, the only proper response is gratitude. It has to be gratitude. There is no other response that can make sense. Regardless of what trials or difficult circumstances might come in the course of a day, if we do that, we will be secure in his grace to rest in him, to know that he is with us, that he is for us, regardless of what mountain might be standing right in front of us. I want to show you guys some verses um, that just show that gratefulness isn't a suggestion from God. This is a command and an expectation that he has of us as his children. He says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 118. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. Psalm 9. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we know what scripture says. You can leave that up there for a minute if you want. So we know what scripture says about having a spirit of gratitude. This is just four of probably 400 verses I could have pulled out from the Bible. Now, in light of that reality, think back to the story of the ten lepers, okay? How nine of them didn't even have the decency to tell God thanks for healing them. They had an unappreciative spirit. How often do we have an unappreciative spirit? Think back on moments in your life where you were ungrateful for what God has, had done for you, maybe what others had done for you. So this is a question I'm asking you guys. This is a tough question that's going to require us to be honest, but I'm going to share mine, so I'm going to do it too. So here's my question. I want to hear from feedback. How does your unappreciative spirit flesh itself out? What goes on inside you, in your heart or in your mind, or what kind of actions do you start making when you have a spirit of ungratefulness, when you have a spirit of entitlement that, you, that God owes you or that other people owe you, what does having an unappreciative spirit look like in your life? So the floor's open. Let's hear from a few of you. 
Who would be so vulnerable? And I'm going to share mine in a second, I promise. Taylor, yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So Taylor says it just robs him of joy when he has an unappreciative spirit. And it just kind of helps bitterness just to fester when he has that type of attitude. Yeah, that's good. Who else? Yes. Wow, I didn't see you. Okay. 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 Yeah. So, okay. So Chris says, uh, unappreciative spirit leads him to being envious and just jealous. That's good. Well, it's not good, but it's honest. It's really bad, but I'll share mine in a minute. What else? Brooke, yes. Sure. Yeah, she said it leads her to stress and anxiety when you're constantly just thinking about the negative and not being thankful for what you have. Good, yeah. Yeah, Michaela. Yeah, that's good. She said she, it makes her moods and her attitude towards people, they're so circumstantial. You treat me well, I'm happy. You hurt me, then I'm miserable and I want to lash out rather than just resting in God's goodness. Yeah. Anyone else? Those are great examples. For me personally, my, my unappreciative spirit starts to rise up um, within me when I start playing the comparison game with other people. That's, that, that's what gets me. Um, how can they afford that nice thing? And that sucks that I can't have that. What's up with that, right? Why does so-and-so kind of have it easy? Like, they just got things figured out and life is just cruising for them. What's up with that? That's not really fair, God. There's a thousand examples I could give, but when I take my eyes off of Jesus and I start looking at other people, even some of you guys, my friends, my family, and I start to think, man, how do I measure up? How do I measure up compared to this person, compared to that person? It always leads me to unhealthy places in my heart. I have been given far more than I deserve, but I live in a society that tells me, be all you can be. You deserve everything. You need more. Splurge. Do whatever you want to find happiness. And when I buy into that lie, it makes me an ungrateful little punk that nobody wants to be around. So in this story of the ten lepers, a major truth lesson that we can take away is this. Some people just aren't going to be grateful for us. Some people are just not going to be grateful for what you do or what you say to them. And you know what? It shouldn't stop us from loving them. It shouldn't stop us from caring for them. You see, it's easy to be nice to someone that you know is going to appreciate it, right? It might inconvenience you a little bit to help someone. You might sacrifice your time. 
You might have to sacrifice a little bit of money, but if you know that this person's really going to be grateful, it doesn't feel like death hurting them, right? But if you know someone needs help, and there's a good chance they're probably not going to appreciate it, man, it's a lot harder to serve that person, right? It's a lot harder to sacrifice your time or your money for someone when you know this person's probably not going to appreciate it at all. That's a lot harder. 90% of the people that Jesus helped in this story, men that received the greatest miracle of their life, 90% of them walked away and didn't even say thanks. One word. They didn't even say thanks. And knowing that would be the case in advance, Jesus still chose to care for them and to heal them. And the flip side of that is true as well. This is kind of a unique angle to to think of it in this way. When people do appreciate us, when people extend gratitude to us, if we help them, we need to receive that with appreciation and gratefulness rather than fluff it off and act like it's no big deal or just dismiss it and reflect it. I've had people in my life that have um, helped me with something and literally they respond like this, dude, stop. Stop, Justin. Don't give me thanks. It's all because of Jesus. Just stop. Shut your mouth. And I am freaked out, weirded out in those moments because I don't know what to say Um, because I'm like, yes, all good things are from Jesus, but you're the one that decided to help me. Jesus didn't physically pick up your arm, pick up your legs, and walk you to my house to help me or fix my car or whatever. Thank you, Mark Donahue, or whatever it might be, right? Like, they made that decision. Jesus didn't forcefully pick up their bodies to help me. So we need to receive people's appreciation with a thankful heart. And also, we must not neglect, as we said earlier, serving someone even if, they, even if we know there's a good chance they won't be thankful. But we do it as an overflow of the goodness that God has already showered upon us. We need to sow grace and truth in fields where we might not expect God to move. We often think how, we think, you know, we know how things are going to play out. We know how relationships are going to unfold, how situations are going to unfold. And a lot of times it's nothing like we envisioned, right? The way people respond to things. We want to naturally extend grace and truth to people who we think will appreciate it. But only Jesus knows how people are going to respond. Think about this scenario. Imagine if Jesus called you next to him, stand right next to him, and he chose 10 guys, kind of like this story. He, he chose 10 people that he placed in front of you. He's like, hey, I'm going to, you know, this successful businessman, let, let's pick him. Here's this woman. She's sharp. You know, we'll pick him. We'll throw in a car salesman. We'll throw in a couple teachers, maybe a professor, a finance guy. And then we'll throw in this foreigner who also has leprosy who's just rough to look at. If Jesus lined you up and said, hey man, out of these 10, who do you think is going to get it? Who's going to get the gospel? Who's going to understand my grace and truth? Who's going to grasp it, take it, and run with it and pass it on? Who's going to get it, Justin? I'm guessing if we were put on the spot, we'd probably look past the dude with leprosy. I'd be like, eh, probably that guy because he's sharp, right? That successful businessman. Man, that girl, she's got a good head on her shoulder. She's going to get it. 
she's going to grasp it. I'm guessing a lot of us would probably look past the foreigner with leprosy. But only God knows whose hearts are ready to receive him. Our job is simply to be willing to spread his grace and truth to anyone he might put in front of us throughout the course of a day, regardless of how well we think they'll respond to the message. Now, as we wrap up here in a minute, there's a lot that we can take away from this short story. I've hit on several different points. And just like Jesus expected of the lepers, some of us here tonight simply need to have faith in God and what he's already done for you through his son, Jesus Christ. Faith and believe that what he says of you as his son or daughter is actually true. Some of us need to consider what the current posture of our heart is towards God and what he's done. Is it gratitude or is there a spirit of entitlement lurking somewhere? Is there a spirit that makes you believe that God still owes you something, that you're deserving of more than what you've already been given? Maybe you need to consider where you're sowing grace and truth. Where are you investing your time and energy into people? Are you reaching out and serving and loving people who only you think will respond well? Only people who you think will get it? Could you be overlooking some people? Are you robbing people of experiencing and encountering Jesus based on how well you think they'll receive his message? So there's lots of things to kind of discover or wrestle with and examine. And so because of that, I want to give us, give you guys a minute or two of silence right now just to um, be still before God. So if you're someone that likes to close your eyes and bow your head, whatever, it doesn't matter to me. But I'm just going to give us some silence now and you just take this time to be with God and ask him what he's speaking to you and what he wants you to take away from this story in Luke 17. So after some silence, um, um, I'll close this in prayer. Jesus, you are so good, and we love you, Lord. God, I pray that you would fill our hearts with gratefulness. Help us to do our part in reminding ourselves of everything that you have already done for us, God. God, help us to know and understand and accept that you have 
You have given us far more than we could ever deserve, God. You have been so, so good to us, Jesus. Forgive us, God, for when we are unappreciative, for when we're ungrateful, God, for when we let our joy just be dictated by our circumstances or just our struggles in life, our our momentary troubles, God. Make us to be people full of gratitude, God, who are willing to just share that joy and just overwhelmingness with others, God, because of the goodness that you showered upon us. So fill our hearts with thanks and praise today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So you guys go ahead and stand with us. We'll sing our last song. It is, uh...